What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, before you enjoy your pants off this next episode, November 24th in Petaluma, California, at West Coast Archery Shop, from 11 to 4, there will be Customer Appreciation Day. Come on down, come have a good time, share your stories and your adventures from this year's hunting season, check out some bows, check out some new products that'll be coming out, and come eat some amazing food. We look forward to seeing you there. Again, that's November 24th, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, 11 to 4, at West Coast Archery Shop. Shitty Hunter TV, checking in, broadcasting live. I'm going to have you try this Mountain Berry Granola. Peak refuel. Great meals. This is what I was eating in the White Mountains. That is delicious. It's really good. I almost feel like you're saying that for a second time. It might be. It might be. That might be the case. It's so good, it deserves to be said twice. Right? Absolutely. So, you actually hunted with some peak refuel meals this year. I did, yeah. What would you think? They're fantastic. You liked them? It was, uh, I've tried a lot of different you know, companies throughout the years and whatnot, and mm-hmm. you know, tried to find things that really work. This is the first time that I like actually enjoyed myself. You know, and, you don't wake up just feeling just terrible after eating Mountain House the night before. Day and, you know, and day and day and day. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, on top of, like, it feels healthy, it tastes great. Yeah. So, like, it's, like, full flavor. Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's, Totally, I get it. It's not one of those foods, like, people talk all the time, like, things are better in the backcountry, which is absolutely true. But, I mean, sometimes you have to be, like, really hungry to be able to eat some of those other dehydrated food. This is the kind of thing, it gets to be, you know close to dinner time and you're like all right i'm ready to eat yeah i'm excited to eat this yeah well you know and something too for me when we were in the whites every single morning not right when i wake up um but every single morning around 8 9 a.m take a break from glassing pour some ice cold water and a granola with dehydrated milk and berries and it was good like it tasted good. It was like, it was cold out too, but it was refreshing. It was like a nice break. It helped me like have a little bit more energy for my day. The berries, like they taste like real berries, you know, it's yeah. like they have a good texture to them, good flavor. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a great way. They to come back to life when you add water. Absolutely. Instead of being like funky and dried up and like you usually expect. Yeah. So it's definitely a nice change of pace. Absolutely. Something to this quality. What was your favorite uh, meal that you packed in this year? So favorite meal was probably the uh, beef marinara. Mine too. The um, uh, chicken Alfredo was really good as well. Chicken Alfredo is delicious. But I ended up bringing a brick of cheddar cheese up and uh-huh. adding that into the beef marinara mm-hmm. was one of those just game changers. That was so good that, you know, it's kind of a, a decent amount of weight to carry in a brick of cheese. But uh, when you're out there... <laughs> cheese is worth it. Oh, it's like you're eating it the... It doesn't, you know, it lasts you a good amount of time. Yeah. It doesn't go bad as long as it's like sitting in the shade. And so, man, it was 
I'll be doing it forever now. So a learning curve for Andrew Brilski and myself, we packed in, we got a monster block of, uh, it was like Colby Jack and Pepper Jack. Nice. And it's the pre-sliced with the wax paper. And we were gonna make peanut butter salami, excuse me, peanut butter salami cheese sandwiches. The Andy specialty. Yeah, on the mountains. And uh, we left them in our, we left the cheese in our, in our taki bag, or taki, however they pronounce that bag. Yeah. We left them in that bag, never thought about it. So when we actually wanted to start making sandwiches like four days later, we open up to the cheese and it is an amoeba of the shape of the bag of melted cheese. <laughs> and we're like, how are we going to eat this? There's like weird wax strips throughout the whole thing. So oh, you can't man. slice it, right? right? <laughs> so it was all funky and fucked up. But I mean, we made do. It was just, it was just so funny. Like, just an interesting way to see it. <laughs> but cheese is worth its weight in gold, man. It's such a good mountain snack absolutely and yeah. it's just like string cheese is really good because it's just individual i think i'll be looking into that but i mean there's something about just a good cheddar that i was like yeah. you know what like i know that this is a good cheese and i'm going to enjoy this so you I'm brought in a bl- you brought in a block of cheese yep and you were adding it to your meal adding that to the uh, beef marinara and let me tell you that is do you bring awesome. in like hot sauce with you or anything like that no not usually i'm more just someone who's like you know if it's there you know and I enjoy it, it'll be fine. Yeah. Hot sauce would be smart to bring in. Yeah. It's, you know, not something that, I'm more, when I'm out in the wilderness, I'm looking for something that tastes good and mostly gets me my energy. Yeah. But I don't need something that tastes like above and beyond. Like, oh, I brought my specialty hot sauce. I do bring a lot of peanut butter and I'll put peanut butter on random things like the peanut butter salami sandwich you do. You know it's good? That, peanut butter on a pepperoni pizza, man. I haven't tried that. You should that try good. it. Dude. <laughs> try it and get back to me. About All right, it. I will. The weird things that peanut butter goes on podcast episode one. All right, I like it. <laughs> right? Yeah. The uh, with hot sauce. So, in uh, in the whites, we had our corral camp, which was like bottom of the mountain. We had our south camp, which was like base camp, and then we had north camp. And I'm for me most of the time I was up in north camp. And Austin Young, you know Austin. Yeah. We've gone on like Tule Oak, looking for Tule Oak with oh, him and all kinds of stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So Austin and I are in our camp kitchen, and I'm doing air quotes. And we were eating peak refuel by the can, right? right. So, and on this particular adventure where it's, it's just Austin and I in North Camp for like four or five days, um, you know, we have three cans. It's, I can't remember, it's eight servings per can of the beef marinara. And uh, we're like, cool. We can eat, you know, we'll each bring in a can and that's two nights of food, right? right? And they'll take care of us, whatever, we'll figure it out. So the first night we're in camp and I'm making up the, the can of food and actually, you know, it's funny is our, our can opener had snapped. So we were using knives and stabbing holes all the way around until it was like, yeah, is that, is that how that scar happened? Oh, okay. I'll have to remember that. (laughs) Fuck, man. So anyways, we cook up, we cook up our beef marinara and Austin's like, oh wait, hold on. And runs to his pack, 
pulls out Taco Bell hot sauce, Taco Bell mild seasoning. He's got Tapatio in packets. Like, dude just breaks out an array of different uh, hot sauces to put into our into our meals. It was delicious. But hot sauce on a mountain is so like if you can find individual serving packs or rob a Taco Bell on your way up the mountain, that's a good worth idea. it, dude. Just for the extra flavor, it's worth it. I'm gonna have to look at that because Taco Bell is usually my go-to once I get off the mountain, especially mm-hmm. if I'm unsuccessful. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of just been like my habit, and you know, being a shitty hunter. Yeah, eat a lot of Taco Bell, being unsuccessful in the field. <laughs> right. So unsuccessful. Oh well, there's a Taco Bell on the drive home of pretty much every hunt that I go on. Right. So there's Taco, Bell's Taco Bell. Bell. So yeah. next time when they ask for sauce, I usually tell them no, but now I'm gonna say extra. Extra. Let me bar. get extra bags there, bud. Exactly. Yeah. So you kind of had a prolific season. And going from the shitty hunter and killing no deer, which, you know, you've been working your ass off to accomplish for a couple years. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you've been doing it. You've been grinding it out Um, into not even being able to make it into rifle season this year because you filled both your tags with a bow. I did. That's got to feel like quite an accomplishment. Like for me, it took me years to fill both my California deer tags in one year, you know? So how does that feel? And we'll go into the hunts that you went on the A zone hunt and then the D zone hunt, I believe. So we'll go into those hunts, but how does that feel for you to have spent so much time and energy and, you know, pain, I don't want to say pain and suffering, but pain and suffering. Of absolutely the me- You know what I mean? The mental struggle, the heat, everything that's encompassed in our hunts out here and, and the difficulty level to notching that second tag. Was it opening weekend that you notched your second tag? I technically only got five days of hunting in this year for deer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It was uh, the second day on my second hunt and then third day of the season on my first hunt. So when you're filling out your tag, and this is a, a question that I think of every time that I fill out a deer tag in California, it says days hunting. Do you put your actual number of days that you hunted or do you also include your days scouted? I did days hunted technically. Just because, open days hunting. Right, because to me it was like, if I'm gonna say that I spent five days hunting and the season's been open for three days, I don't want them to be like, well, what does that mean? And like question anything. So it's like scouting, you know, maybe they consider that hiking. Like I consider it part of the hunt because you know, you have to scout and it makes most sense. To well, and so that's area. why I kind of always, I always have that question in the back of my mind, like does scouting, right. is that incorporated into hunting? So. I personally see it that it does, but when it comes down to the letter, letter of the, the law, law, exactly, I feel like it's best to go with what I think is the legal definition of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm no lawyer, so I could be totally wrong on this, but it just seems like they might look at things differently if they're like, well, you know, season's been open for X days and you say you've hunted longer than that, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, it could go either way, I just do it as from the you know, season actually starts and I legally can be carrying a weapon with me, pursuing an animal, yeah. as opposed to just glassing and an pursue. animal up and trying to learn their behavior. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's a little bit different. So, again, how does it feel to have notched both tags? Man, it's the best feeling in the world. Uh-huh. And it's all public land. All public land. All DIY. All over the counter, do it yourself. You know, and, and, and you, you know, you'll use Google, you'll use Onyx, you have Those other scouting methods from 
outside of actual time in the field. Yeah. Um, yeah, those have both been really, really helpful. Um, you know, it's so tough when you're first starting out in the state to try and figure anywhere, but especially in California, trying to figure out where you can actually hunt. That uh, Onyx was, you know, amazing. And then being able to reference, reference that with Google Earth as well, try and get a better idea of the lay of the land, it's been very beneficial for me. I think one of the most difficult things about e-scouting is topography. Oh, absolutely. It's never what it seems. You're like, that doesn't look that steep. That's Ever. fine. And yeah. then you get there. Oh, I'll just cream straight up that ridge line. No problem. <laughs> and you get there and you're like, I'm not going up that. I'll go around that. Figure out any other way around that, but can't go up that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I almost want to call it a bittersweet feeling because like I said, I've only had five days of actually hunting and look at the time that I've spent in looking for pigs and deer in the last two years or the last three years <coughs> you know if I'm I was averaging between 75 and 100 days I guess in the was, field in, in the field and kind of including waterfowl as well in that but um, you know a significant portion of the year I spent you know even if it was just half of a day just going out in the morning because I'm a waiter I can go out in the mornings and hunt and then come and work at night so it allows me an opportunity to get out in the field more so it was a huge change, mm -hmm. but like the reason I said I hesitate to call it bittersweet because it's exactly what I was going for. Like I had goals and I wanted to accomplish those goals, and so I did. But it's just weird because now I still see you know people out hunting in the field, and I'm like, I want to be out hunting now, and you can't. But I can't because I filled both my you tags. Go, but you can go hunt pigs though. So that's the thing is like now I'm like I can see my view shifting a little bit. I'm like. It's past deer seasons. So now I'm looking at bears and I'm looking at pigs and then driving. Out what other tags ducks. can I get to right. take my ass back into the into the into the forest exactly. into the wild? Because I feel like I've already been. It's been you know a little over three weeks, and I'm like I don't like. You're like having withdrawals. Like, yeah. Back to the mountains now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a great feeling, and it was just like it was super cool because for my first year I had friends there, so I got that celebration aspect. Mm -hmm. And for my second year, it was much more of a personal experience because it was just me. Yeah. So there's no fist pumping. There's no like, <clears throat> it was more of just like, this happened. Like super, both appreciative of that, both of them, obviously. Yeah. It's nice to have both experiences of it, of like the camaraderie with your friends there. And, you know, everyone's been working really hard. And then going to, you know, also being able to do it myself. Right. So great feeling. It's what we've been shooting for. But uh, it's interesting to be like, oh, it happened a little bit faster than I anticipated. But I also am a student. So I told my girlfriend, you know, as a, you know, again, still being the shitty hunter, she doesn't believe me when I say, I'm going to go get an animal today. She's like, all right, I'm sure you will. Yeah. So I told her, I was like, all right, I'm going to make sure I fill both of my deer tags before school starts. I'm just trying to have some kind of goal for that so that I, you know, can focus more on school because when school's in season, in session, yeah. deer season's open or pretty much any season. I'm not focusing on school and I'm focusing on hunting and when can right. I get out next and this and that. So I was like, you know what, I'm about to transfer, make sure I can you know, finish strong, so I'm going to do my best to fill both gear tags before school starts. So it ended up working out and uh, you know, school started now, but it was interesting because we get just used to being out right now. Now having had the success on, a, on filling your tags early, is it a relief not having to deal with the pressure of every weekend going and still not filling a tag and the pressure of the season ending 100%. closer and closer and just... Other people filling their tags and then you just like, when can I get out next? Or I think I can get out. 
for you know a couple hours this morning next week I can get out maybe on a Saturday you know trying to figure out the schedule so it's nice to be able to sleep in and wake up and be like like it was funny the way after I killed uh, after I harvested my first buck I was like there's just this relief you know this weight off my shoulders mm-hmm. you know it's just been relieved because you know always just so I didn't stop thinking about deer or you know big game and like how I can get out and learn more and you know for the last couple of years so after it finally happened it was just finally like I can take a deep breath relax a little bit because it was you know so much time and effort spent into it that now that I don't have any you know, like no deer tags <laughs> I'm sitting back and I'm like it's you know I can breathe I really want to be out there more but I've spent so much you know mental energy focusing and obsessing really over how to you know complete my goals and fill the freezer so it's awesome but it's just interesting to look at really because uh, you know it, it's just I can finally relax like I was saying but at the same time like I want to be out there more yeah. so I don't feel the stress like I felt the last couple of years like last year I didn't even buy a second I had one archery only tag didn't even buy another one because I was like I just got to make sure I fill this one otherwise I feel like I'll be wasting money and you know didn't fill that one last year but Every day that would go by, you see someone on Instagram get a deer. You're like, oh, well, I could have gotten out this morning. Class got canceled, this or that. And you just start thinking about it and just the stress builds as the season goes on. Finding all those different times when you could have made it out to get it done. Exactly. And, you know, I didn't want to look back on the season and be like, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. So I just put a lot of effort in just trying to make it happen. So it's nice that it's done, but it's weird <laughs> it's also saddening at the same time right it makes me really look forward to i still have a uh, tag in arizona <coughs> i fought back in january to go on their uh january hunt now i'm looking at it like well i guess i have one more deer tag that you know kind of getting me through and again pigs and bear and fall turkey will be coming up so there's plenty of other things but uh just still being deer season it feels like i should be out there yeah when i filled my ao tag and then on my way home or a couple couple days right after I got home, I went and got my uh, my D-Zone tag for the rest of the year. The biggest difficulty that I've had since buying that tag is now finding out that for some reason I never looked at the opening date. It's pushed back. Everything's pushed back. <laughs> Right. And like, this is stuff that I should know. Right. I didn't even realize the last week either. And yeah. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Seasons pushed back. Right. So not only is it pushed back, but then I also got called to go out of the country to, to go up to BC for about 20, 22 days on a hunt, which is fucking phenomenal. Absolutely. Right. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll fly out of Salt Lake city on September 28th. I'll fly back into Salt Lake City October 17th, right? My deer season in Salt Lake City, you know, and the surrounding area opens that following weekend. And then Montana opens the weekend after that. When are you going to have time to hunt? I'm not going to get to hunt my second California tag. Oh, so man. I didn't even need to buy it. Oh. And when I bought it, I had the opportunity. I was I was just gearing up to leave for a B zone bear hunt, and I thought like maybe I should just get an archery only tag, just in case, just in case, and you know go shoot a blacktail, go shoot an actual blacktail. 
Right. You know, like a, a west of I-5 blocktail. Purebred. Purebred. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, there's, you know, we're only hunting one day of the season, which was this last Sunday. Oh, okay. And I was like, you know, that's not going to happen. Right, exactly. Right? That's Doesn't not going to happen. Nearly as plausible. So we go, and day one, I mean, the only day we're there. There's three really, really, really nice blacktail bucks. Like, send it on all three of them. <laughs> you know, archery range. No way. Completely stockable conditions, blacktail bucks. And I didn't have the tag. And we, we ended up only seeing one bear. But that's just like, now I'm bummed because I don't get to... Not gonna have an opportunity again. I don't. I don't get to hunt California for the rest of the year, except for for bear. Oh man! You know, and that's a bummer for me. Absolutely. But. And it's like those deer know that you don't have a tag in the pocket. And that's why they're sticking their tongues out at me well, from the willow yes. bushes. Because they're like, oh wait a second, we know that guy's fine. We're all. Yeah, good. we're good. We're gonna run around. We're gonna frolic. We're gonna chase each other. It's like they always you know? say, you don't have the tag, and they're there. As soon as you have the tag, you never see. Yeah, them. well, and it was funny the whole ride up, Hans. You know Hans. Oh yeah. Um, the whole ride up, we met over at West Coast. Yep. And then we're driving up together. And he's like, you know, because, you know, we can't kill any deer. We're going to see bucks everywhere. And we're not going to see any bears. We ended up seeing one bear, but it was terrible. Oh, man. It was terrible. But so back to filling both of your tags, Right. At least you're not in my position. I was going to say, now I'm really excited that I got a second archery only tag. <laughs> right? <laughs> feel bad that uh, you won't be able to use yours, though. Nah. It's, hey, you know, it's, a, it's not an archery only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right? And that's what counts. Right. At the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what really counts. Um, so, we'll dive into your first hunt. Right? And it was kind of a toss-up this year from what it sounded like, what we talked about earlier, was you kind of had a couple different spots that you wanted to hunt, and they were a distance from each other, right? Yeah, a good distance. A good distance from each other. So you ended up opening day. So what happened opening day? Did you... So the... On your place that you went opening day, had you hunted there before? You know, was that something you had scouted all season? You know, what what did your scouting look like leading up to the opener of A-Zone Archery? So this spot that I went to is a spot that I've been going to pretty consistently the last couple of years. Um, I had four or five cameras up there. Like, this was like my main area that I go and scout. And, um, you know, it's just the easiest to get to, so it makes the most sense. Yeah. And so I had two other buddies that were going to be coming with me. One, Nick, who uh, you know a little bit, and you know, you've talked to online. And uh, I think did work, did that uh, design for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Toasted so, sandwich. Yep, exactly. Right? Shameless plug from Nick out there. Yeah, Nick's a savage gangster, dude. I like that guy a lot. Yeah, dude, he's the absolute homie. Yeah, he, uh, he, he did a pretty sweet t shirt design for me that I have yet to release, but I will be releasing soon. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's just super talented, great, great guy. But, you know, he's also super allergic to poison oak. Or poison oak. Poison oak's terrible. 
So the spot where he was going to meet up with us and then our other buddy Mason, who was another spearfisher friend of ours from Santa Barbara, um, he wanted to come up and he had just gotten his license, just got his bow, and it was going to be for his first time. So we wanted to go check out a new area where we could kind of pack in, more of a wilderness feel, you know. Spike or, camp or right, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, just more adventure. Right. Okay. And so this other spot that I go to, like I said, it's close. So I'm there a lot. It's not an area that you can go camp at and pack into. Like, legally, you can't. So You can pack in at 3 in the morning and pack back out in the afternoon. Right, exactly. That's about it. Yep. Yeah. So um, I wanted to go check out this area because I'd be putting all this time in scouting. So I was going to feel like a real dummy if I brought my two friends to, you know, a new spot. And I was like, here we go. Let's check out this spot when I knew that there was going to be deer at a different spot. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to at least go check out what I knew would be at least a safe move. So I bring Nick up there. We hike in super early in the morning, and uh, I leave him at the glassing spot that I was able to find a buck last year and put my only stock on last year. And I was like, I know that the animals are going to be here, and this is what they're going to be doing. So I said, just watch this hillside. They'll move from here to here. And, you know, if you have any questions or anything, you know, let me know. I'll just be up over the ridge. So I leave him there. I hike up over. Well, Nick's super allergic to poison oak, like I said. It turns out that the poison oak had grown insanely from the year before. So this glassing spot that I left him at oh, is just no. a giant thing of poison oak. It's just a whole poison oak bush. But it like imagine it's like a circle almost where it's like kind of this cleared out. And he it. hiked in it in the dark. And we it was all in the dark. So and he had told me that, you know, he showed me this big rash on his arm from poison oak from like it getting on his dog and then getting on him and explained how, you know, He's really allergic. The transfer of oil from dog to shirt to... Exactly. ...human. And since it doesn't bother me, knock on wood yet. Right. Now that oh, I say it, I just terrifying. myself. But, uh, you know, it wasn't something I really thought about. <coughs> so when I dropped him off, I didn't think, oh, maybe we should check to make sure. It was more just like, sit here. So he takes his jacket off. He takes, you know, he's layered up because it's early in the morning. Puts his bow right in the bush, like backpack in the bush, like literally is most of like, aside from just stripping down and laying in the bush, like pretty much just like covered himself completely. Oh my God, head to toe. So sun comes up and I get a text from him saying, I'm sitting in like completely surrounded in poison oak. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. Well, if you want to leave that spot, like you can come up here and join me. Well, I sent him the way mark on OnX, like come up over here, this is where I'm sitting. He walks through an entire other wall of poison oak just to get up there. So we ended up uh, meeting up. He's there. He's you know letting me know the situation. He's just covered in poison oak. And so we're like, all right, well, let's, you know, we're already here. We've hiked in all this way. Let's just start glassing. So we start glassing. Throughout that day, we ended up finding 15 bucks. No way. And so, yeah. That's a good opening morning for A-Zone. Most deer I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it's better, well, most bucks I've ever seen. Um, so yeah, I was blown away. And we start just looking and it's like, all right, well, here's some spikes here. Oh, look, there's forks over there. We ended up finding the target buck that I had found on camera the last two years that actually Anthony ends up shooting. I don't wanna spoil that story for, you know, when he yeah. talks about it. But um, found that deer, found a couple other really nice bucks where they're flirting with the uh, private line. So we kind of just watched and we were like, you don't wanna scare them away, you know, we can always, you know, debating whether or not we were gonna come back. As the day went on, we realized, you know what, Nick just wanted to go home and shower and, you know, at least, you know, 
clean out. himself up. Exactly. He so he's not injury. saturated in poison oak anymore. Especially if we're planning on packing in somewhere else. If like you're packing in, you know you already covered in poison oak as you're packing in. You know you're coming out in eight hours with right. an immense amount of infection. Exactly. So as the <clears> moves on, we end up finding some of the bucks again. Got some awesome uh, footage for Shitty Hunter for mm -hmm. my YouTube channel. Yeah. But um, we didn't end up making a move on those bucks just because it just didn't feel right. It was like, we could do it, but then I don't know exactly. I haven't walked with my Onyx on that boundary line. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure where exactly the private line was. Yeah. We were hoping if they made their way over, then I knew it would be public. But it wasn't something I wanted to risk. Yeah, it's just easier to not risk it right. at all. So just watch the deer, you know, enjoy the night, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. So we ended up moving spots, and, you know, it's tough to leave 15 bucks on opening morning to go to <laughs> a spot you've never been. Yeah, to go into a place you've never seen ever. Like the added, you know, everyone always says, don't leave deer to find deer. But then for me to be like, oh, I haven't even killed the deer, and I'm about to leave 15 of them to go and, like, hopefully find one. It was nerve-wracking, but at the same time, it was like we wanted to do, like, an experience as well. Yeah. So... So what we ended up doing is uh, we drove to this new spot. Nick and I pull up to the trailhead. We decide to wait for our buddy Mason, who I mentioned uh, was driving up that night. So now Mason, like you said, he's a spear fisherman from Santa Barbara. Yep. He's not really much of a hunter. He hasn't hunted much yet. Never hunted. Oh, like uh, on land. Yeah, exactly. So he, like, he loves to go out in the ocean and, you know, you know spear fishing is hunting. Just Down the there ocean. hanging out with the hammerheads. It's pretty crazy, the stuff that uh, we've seen out in the water. Yeah. But um, he had never actually got, you know, he had just gotten into bowing. He just bought his bow, just learned how to shoot it, just went to the hunter safety, like, did the whole works. Mm -hmm. So he was really excited to be a part of it. And, you know, it was great because we wanted to be able to show him more of an experience about it as opposed to, like, well, there's this spot that I really like, but you know, this is more of, like, the true idea of hunting that I think would make him happier as well. Yeah. So we get down there, Nick and I decided we'll just start at the trailhead and just go, you know, a mile, mile and a half up, just trying to figure out the area and get an idea for the next morning when we were going to bring Mason out. Mm -hmm. And we're up and we're walking around and Nick ends up seeing um, a spike and a fork. And so when we're up at the top, we decide to try to make a move on him. We end up trying to stalk in and get cliffed out three different times. Oh, really? So we keep trying to move, slide down the mountain, cliffed out again. Eventually we end up that we're just like, let's go sit in this meadow that it looks like they're moving into and then see if, you know, before shooting light ends, if they'll walk right to us. So Nick and I set up about 100 yards apart, kind of just sitting there waiting as we can see things getting darker. There's a doe that comes in and literally just like on a string from like 75 yards to like 30 yards or under, just walking right at Nick. So it was cool just to be able to be like, all right, we're in this new spot and we're still finding deer. Mm -hmm. And so it was a good way to start the, uh, the first day, technically, afternoon of the hunt off. Go back to camp, start eating a little bit. We uh, go to sleep and Mason shows up at midnight or yeah. one, whatever it is. So had you told Mason that you guys left a spot with plenty of deer to go to a spot with maybe no deer? Yes. What was his reaction to that? His reaction was, I really hope it's worth it. <laughs> He's like, I trust you guys, but like, I think he also didn't want to make the drive. <laughs> it yeah. would have been a much longer drive for him. Yeah. So I think he was like, all right, you know what? Like, hopefully we can still figure it out. Um, 
he would have been happy either way. But I think also hearing that there was less poison oak at this new spot was probably pretty Super helpful beneficial for him. for him. He was like, all right, no. So he's allergic right. to poison oak too. I assume so. I think most people probably we are. We are many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably way more that are affected by it than are. So maybe I'm part of the 1% there. <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Mason shows up that night and we tell him, like, get to sleep quickly. We're going to wake up and we're going to, you know, try and find this deer that we found because we found a legal deer. So we find out uh, in the morning, we get up. Um, Mason doesn't, he hadn't even bought any uh, camouflage clothes, didn't have boots, anything like that. Really? So um, Austin, uh, who uh, you mentioned, Austin Young, had yeah. an extra pair of boots that he had uh, told me. He was like, hey, I want to give these to someone. And so I was like, okay, cool. You know what? Like, my buddy right here needs a pair of boots, so he'll be able to use them. So he used Austin's boots, a pair of old Kuyu pants for me. Yeah. Just like gets decked out in the morning, had his bow, he was ready to go. And I start walking up the trail, and I'm leading, and I end up seeing, uh, you know, probably 200 yards out in front of us once we get out. It ends up being a total of 400 yards from the trailhead, essentially. Um, seeing the buck from the night before. And uh, he's just feeding in the meadow like we thought he would, just a little bit off to the side of where we were sitting. And it's legal shooting light, and we just decide to start sneaking in. So get a little bit closer and closer and work our way in. And then because I was in the lead, I actually, it's funny, I had to make sure afterwards, I was like, I didn't cut you guys off with this deer, right? <laughs> I just kind of just kicked into like autopilot, where I was like, I was in the front, and kind of just was like, all right, here's the deer. And they're like, nah, dude, it was good. You were like far enough ahead of us. You saw the deer. We stayed back. Because, you know, you don't want to like cut off your homies when you're hunting together. Mm -hmm. But we're all kind of just walking in this line. And I happened to be in front. And they stayed back. And so they ended up watching. They could see the deer as well. Watched me sneak in. Uh, kind of just shuffling along the trail. So this is your second stock of your life. Second stock of my life. On a deer. On a deer, exactly. And uh, this is the technically third morning of the season. Okay. And so as I'm going in, I don't, like I said, got really excited with it, so I don't take my shoes off. I don't take my backpack off. I don't take the quiver off my bow. I'm more just like deer, one thing in my mind, I'm going to kill that deer. Yeah. So I start Now, do you get nervous or do you get buck fever at all? Yeah. And it's okay. funny, when I was younger, I used to feel like I like, you know, didn't really get buck fever. No big deal. And now, especially like when you're hunting with a bow, I feel like, it was just one of those things that I start getting really excited. And was there added pressure to that excitement due to the fact that your buddies are watching you? My buddies are watching, and <laughs> we also ran into uh, a guy who him and his two sons listened to the podcast. Yeah. So they had uh, come in literally two minutes after us from the trailhead. So I've got <coughs> five people technically watching me stuck in on this buck. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling really confident. I'm good, but I'm I'm nervous. You know, I'm still shaking. But it was like the good kind. And I've been shooting my bow a bunch. So I was like, I feel really confident in my shot. But just control yourself and make it happen. So I slide in, get to 60 yards. But kind of spooks off a little bit, moves back to 70 yards. I go and uh, thought everything was all set up. Pin felt settled, but you know, a little nervous still. Shot, shot right below him. Oh no. And so I was like, pretty upset with myself, but at the same time, this deer was not the brightest deer. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of just runs off, hangs right at the brush line, and you, know, you don't have a shot on him, but he hasn't totally run away. Yeah. So I start sneaking in, 
I get to uh, 60 yards, actually again. So I get up there, make sure everything's all set with my pin, breathing, go to draw back. <laughs> I didn't actually make sure the arrow was knocked. Yeah. Like I thought it was, but as I draw back, the arrow falls. Falls off the string. Right, falls off the string, oh, so the broadhead gets caught uh, in my arrow rest. Yeah. And so then, you know, I've got five people watching me, and I can't even draw my bow back. So I'm like, all right, you know what, just take a deep breath, put my bow back, put the arrow back on, what I thought was knocked again, and I draw back, and the arrow, same exact thing, two times in ten seconds. And your buddies are watching. And everyone's just watching, <laughs> arrow falls, Deer's just still staring at me of like, what's this guy doing? Like, arrow's making noise because it's, you know, hitting the rest and, you know, it's not quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, how am I messing up three opportunities right now? And so... Uh, so was the buck spooked by any of that or did he I even notice? Lucky. This was just a dumb deer. Oh, wow. So it's kind of just like hanging off there. And then there's a spike that's even closer. So I fix my arrow, make sure it's like really tightened on there and start shuffling up the, uh, you know, trail just a little bit and I get to 43 yards of the spike this deer that I had already shot at and missed and then already tried to shoot at you know tried to draw back on twice and failed was curious what the spike was staring at mm -hmm. he had already forgotten like he'd been shot at 10 yeah. minutes before whatever it was so he moves off from like outside of the brush and he walks right up past the spike and then off to the side of the spike so 43 yards away and it was one of those things where I was like all right pin is set perfectly deep breath and because I had been going through buck fever for 10 minutes already or whatever it was I was able to kind of calm myself down a little bit more but I also knew once I felt the pin was settled I wanted that to settle as quickly as possible um, like we were talking about last time with the bubble it was like I glanced at the bubble but it mm -hmm. wasn't like okay make sure everything's all set up it was like this feels solid I've been shooting a lot it's 43 yards as soon as it felt like alright this is good I just pulled the trigger and went right through his kind of quartering towards me, went right through the front shoulder, complete pass through through both ribs, double lung, and like you could hear like the meat smack, so I was like such a, such a feeling I've been looking for for a long time. Yeah. Talk about being able to hear it, and I'm like, oh, well, I wanna know what it's like to hear it. You're like, oh, I heard it. Finally heard it, <laughs> see the deer kick, and I was like, oh my God. Look back, and I've got like, you know, this little audience of people, I don't want to scream because I'm like, you know, I don't want to ruin the hunting for anyone else, but I'm like, yeah, you know, fist pumping, yeah. you know, trying to contain my excitement about it. And, uh, but the other thing is I just shot him, so I didn't want to like just run in right away. So I walked back down the trail, you know, we're all kind of just celebrating, super happy. We cut back to where we get to uh, climb up on some rocks and look as a high point to see where he ran. Because I shot him right before, um, like a top of the hill. A drop? Kind of, yeah. So it was like, he wasn't by any means skyline because there's still plenty of hill behind him. But mm -hmm. when I hit him, he went up over and around this hill. So I couldn't actually see where he went past 15 yards, mm -hmm. whatever it was. So we're looking around. We don't see um, any other deer. We don't see, you can't see anything. And, you know, I'm sitting there like when we did the advanced hunter safety class um, at the broadhead shoot with Alan, you know, and you and Alan are doing the blood tracking seminar saying, like, all right, wait 30 minutes, eat a sandwich, things like that. Chill out a little bit, right. relax. And, you know, take your time. Yeah. I'm not a very patient person. And so it's been five minutes and I'm like, I'm going to look for blood. I can't, I can't deal with this. Right you know, now. you know what'll help you at some point become more patient with that is 
having a bad hit on a buck or a gut shot because like it leapt forward, mm -hmm. you know, like things that are out of your it's control, not, yeah. you know, and then you go to blood trail that buck after 15 minutes or 10 minutes, five minutes, and you bump it and you end up having a three mile blood stock. It's possible. Oh, uh, 100%. And it's terrible. I only speak from experience. That's something that like, I'm really worried about because, you know, it's like... That's I, how I learn my patients. I mean, I have to fuck it up in order for me to learn how to fix it, so... I'm the same kind of person, which is... I'm, now that we've had this conversation, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to make sure I take my time more. But in, like, the heat of the moment right then, I was like... It's hard know. not to go look for blood. Right, exactly. I was like, I, I could just hear your voice saying, don't do it. Yeah. But I was like, ah, you know, like... I just, like, one of those things I just... I had to know. And, uh, like... If I had known that the homies were going to stay back, I would have given my spotting scope and have them use my phone scope so we could at least like see the hit on the deer and this and that. But it happened so fast as we're hiking in that you know no one had anything. Nick didn't want to pull his phone out and start recording because he was worried if he made too much movement, the deer would see him, and he didn't want to be the reason that you know I don't get a to deer. spook it out. Even though I've already messed up three times, <laughs> that wouldn't have mattered. Right. But um, ended up uh, while the homies sat up on top. I loop back around and I started looking for blood. And then as soon as I get over there, right where the deer was standing, found a little bit of blood. And so I pick it up on a little piece of grass. And I was like, all right, nice, found blood. This is a good sign. And I start walking. I make it 10 yards maybe, find a good pile of blood. I'm like, all right, I keep going. 10 more yards, more blood. Ended up being 32 yards from where I shot him as I'm just kind of walking down there. You were toppled. Oh, he was done so fast. Yeah. Like by the time that I had turned around to like do like the, you know, fist pump, you know, Got him. on with my buddies. Yeah, exactly. The reason we couldn't see him run away anymore is because he fell and he died right over that hill. Yeah. So ended up being, you know, seconds. He was done. Great shot. Um, you can see the exit wound came out like right mid ribs end of the ribs but where it went in on the front shoulder it hit everything just as it should what broadhead were you using rage tripan the tripan that's what hans uses and that, because hans was always talking about it, it was yeah. why i decided to try it out and oh man it was so devastating. that being said i mean west coast you go to west coast that's where you're getting your archery products living in the bay area absolutely you know it's 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 your pro shop your pro shop of choice oh of course um how beneficial for you has the information that Hans has shared with you since you've been, I guess, a client or a, you know, a, a shopper at West Coast? How beneficial has the information been for you as a hunter? It's been amazing. Mm -hmm. like, when I, I've been shooting bows for a long time. Or, you know, I grew up shooting bows and again, took like a little bit of a break when I moved to Santa Barbara. But I had no experience in like what actually was supposed to be done it was more like i'd gone to walmart i bought a bow when i was 13 cheapest arrows i could find and that's what i initially had and then to be able to go to a pro shop because where i lived in new york there wasn't like a pro shop it was like we'd go to walmart you go to dicks mm -hmm. like dicks was like the higher end where you have more options for archery equipment walmart just you know had cheap stuff right so it's a huge difference to be here and be able to talk with someone like all those questions that you know, even when you're younger, you don't have as many questions, but there were questions that I had that I wouldn't be able to answer. Mm -hmm. Now I can go in there, and from when I first started hunting around three years ago and mainly chasing pigs, uh, I've been talking to Hans quite a bit, and he's been able to set me up with you know, phenomenal setup. Um, 
even to the point now where you know he's got me fletching my own arrows because he was like, I recommend you try this. I recommend you try this. And like, just and, the knowledge and, that he has. Is well, just, what's cool about that is that instead of him being like, here, let me fletch your arrows and charge you. You know, he's like, hey, let me teach you sort of how to fletch your own arrows right. and do this for yourself. Exactly. And try different options and try, you know, this setup and that setup and find what works for you. Which that's, you know, something that I've always noticed since I first started going to their their archery shop years ago. Yeah, he, he just, it's very evident that he wants to see you succeed and it's not just like, I'm here to sell you things. He's like, I'm here to, to teach you and make sure that you're going to have the best setup as possible. Mm-hmm. And it, it's great. You know, it's one of those things that I'll be going to him as far as I can see, you know. Right. As long as I live in California. As long as I'm in the area, that's where I'm going. Right, exactly. For sure. It's like, I don't know how long I can necessarily live in the Bay Area, but as long How as long I do, it will be affordable for. Right, exactly. That's the main uh, thing that it comes down to. Right. So, you're shooting a tripan. The tripan blew through the shoulder. Absolutely. You know, I don't know if it broke the bones or slipped right through both both ribs. Okay, and uh, ended up going in kind of like up and down, so really perfectly slid right through. And uh, it was it was interesting. Like it's also I'm gonna barbecue the ribs up uh, probably tomorrow. Oh, cool! So I pulled them out, and you can still see right right where I went through on one of the sides. That's awesome. And yeah, it's it's super cool. And actually, uh, while I was gunning the deer and uh, showing Nick how to do it. Mason was like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to look for your arrow. And Mason was able to find my arrow. In the oh, tall. rad. And you know how tough it is in A-Zone to find an arrow in the tall grass, especially yeah. if it's kind of going in flat. So he was able to find the arrow. And so I still have that, you know, as like a souvenir as well. Mm-hmm. And I could still shoot that tripan now if I wanted. That's awesome. It's still in great shape. So Still in great shape. Can't beat that, dude. Rage makes a good product. Yeah, I'm really impressed with it. Yeah. And uh, this is one of those, like, no collars, too. So I had it, or shock-resistant collar, whatever they call it. The new collar they have for the tripan. Right. Yeah. It stays on really well. Yeah. I'm using the no collars. Okay, nice. And they're tits. Yeah. I like them a lot. And is that what you used on your buck as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I've been using hypodermics for, I think, since they came out. Okay. Um, And... uh, I just always have hated collars. I've always hated them busting open and, right. you know, unscrew it and then put it, adjust it, it and then put it back on. And the no collar is like mind blowing. From what I understand, they might be introducing a tripan with a no collar system, which I'd be really excited to try that because I love the look of right. the tripan. Um, but yeah, I shot my buck with the. And they're accurate too. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, they they follow your field point really well. Right. Which is always what I'm going for. I'm not trying to fine tune with broadheads. Not at all. It's like I understand it, but like if I have <coughs> like I'd rather have my bow setting like shooting one way and not have to be like, well, you know, it's broadhead. It's hunting season. Time to adjust my broadheads. So mm-hmm. That's why I really like these. It's like you just screw them right on, yeah. and they seem to be really consistent. Right. <laughs> the error at 70 yards is just my fault. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. The miss. Yeah. So, you find the buck, you cut the buck up, yep. you and your buddies all celebrate. What happens next? So after that, we get it back to the uh, back to camp. We um, have, yeah, put him in the cooler. We hike around for a little bit after that. Um, you know, at this point, it's starting to be, oh, I don't know, 9 o'clock maybe. So we get up real fast just to try and see if we can find any other deer, but we know, like, we got one in the cooler. 
you know, not really, morning hunt's kind of over. So we end up sitting at camp, and uh, the fellow podcast listener, just mm-hmm. so I don't say his name, and people are, in case other people know where he hunts, and yeah. know exactly about this story, yeah. but, uh, you know, him and his uh, son sat around camp with us, and we just talked about hunting stories, literally the entire afternoon, and, uh, you know, made some new friends, got to, you know, just hang out and relax, and then that afternoon, uh, once it got time to hunt again, when we initially got there, we had ran into them um, the night before, um, and we had just asked, you know, he was like, have you been here before? And we were like, we've never been here before, we don't know, you know, the area at all. What we're doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. And he was... And it's all public land, this is all DIY, you know, and that's your MO, that's how you hunt. Right. And, you know, that's just, I set a goal a long time ago of like, this is what I'm going to do, and so I've just tried to stick to it. But... This guy had said that he had been there before, and you know he had uh, got a deer there during rifle season the year before. Had a couple cameras out, so we were like, "By all means, pick your side. Like whichever side you want. Like we can go this way, you go this way, vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, you know the area. You've been putting the time in, so we don't want to step on your toes." Yeah. So he was like, "All right, cool. I want to go off to the right." And we were like, "All right, cool. We'll go off to the left." Mm-hmm. Actually, end up getting lucky, and that's where we shot the buck. Was off to the left. But then same thing, we split off and went our separate ways for that afternoon hunt. Um, Nick set up trying to glass the area where we had found the bucks yesterday to see if other bucks would come in. And I kind of took Mason up uh, to explore a new area, kind of just like try to teach him how to walk slowly, look for animals, take Look at sign, what does it look like? Right, exactly. Just, you know, someone's first time and you just want to be able to like walk it through them. But then Nick wanted to, you know, have his opportunity because he has a little bit more experience. Mm -hmm. So we go up. We don't see anything. Um, I take it back. We saw a doe, I believe. Anyways, uneventful evening, essentially. Go back in the morning. I go back to camp, spend the night there, um, and then spend two more days trying to hunt. So you're staying in the field. What are you doing with your animal? So we actually ended up camping at the trailhead. Yeah. Because we had, uh, you know, shot the deer, you know, technically 400 yards, you know. It's a wilderness area, but at 400 yards into the wilderness doesn't really count as a wilderness. Yeah. But we were like, man, there's deer here. Does it make sense to like leave, you know, where we know? We've already left deer once. Does it make sense to leave deer twice to hopefully pack in and not be sure if we're going to see deer in there? So we made the decision just to stay at camp and it turned into kind of a uh, ultra lightweight truck hunting almost. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was like, we didn't hunt out of the truck. The truck stayed there, but, you know, camps run out of the truck. Yeah. So... We, uh, you know, end up getting the boys out a couple more times. Um, since my tag was filled, I was like, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to glass for these last two days and I'm going to get up high. You guys still hunt, you know, go and explore new areas, try and figure out what you want to do. So but, still though, what'd you do with the meat? Oh, meat was in my, uh, in the Yeti. Okay. So it was just staying cool. Yep. So, okay. uh, I had, uh, filled up, uh, the ice before I came yeah. working at a restaurant. was really nice because we have an ice machine. Yeah. So Endless I, ice. Right, exactly. <laughs> so instead of having to stop at the gas station, I'm more just like, oh, I'm getting off work. Chef, do you mind if I take some ice? And they're like, restaurant's closed. Take as much ice as you want. Yeah. So I'll fill up a couple garbage bags, put it in the cooler. So the deer's sitting on ice, and it's good to go. Um, the, I guess technically that next day, um, I wanted to go and get it filled, get it uh, um, checked by a game warden or a peace officer. Mm-hmm. So I drove out that next day while Nick and, or while Nick stayed to hunt and Mason came with me because he wanted to get candy bars or something. 
Right. So uh, midday, we drove out, got the deer checked. Validated. Validated, exactly. Um, put some more ice in just so we can make sure the meat was, you know, taken care of as best as possible. Drained out the water, filled the ice, went back into the field. Um, ended up not seeing any other legal bucks. Um, Nick and Mason got really close to two spikes, and they couldn't quite tell. It was funny to watch them trying to see, if, like, is the deer legal? As I'm is it a legal buck or not? I'm sitting on top of a uh, rock, and they ended up scaring the deer like <coughs> 90, 100 yards away from me. Yeah. So I have my spotting scope up, my phone scope, get some really good footage, and clearly just spikes. But it's fun to just watch your friends like, yeah. oh my god, isn't that it? Yeah, well, a, especially on a, a, with a guy on his first hunt. Well, I was going to say is I got uh, I switched from doing videos to pictures as soon as Mason is the one who sees the deer. So I have pictures of him walking, and then all of a sudden, Mason, like, holding his hand up, like, stop, and, like, trying to be really quiet, and then him dropping down. So it's a cool little photo sequence that yeah. I have. Uh, I put it on the YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, just of like being able to see his reaction of like seeing his first box. How exciting is that? It was super cool. Yeah. So ended up uh, being there. I shot the only legal buck that we ended up seeing the whole time. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not a giant deer by any means, but if it's the biggest deer in the area, then I did my part as a conservationist. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, right. we ended up uh, driving out and uh, you know, super stoked, gave the homies meat. So they could go back home with me and they could actually experience me and we cook it up as well. Brought mine back home. Um, and then, yeah, that was pretty much that hunt. Oh, wow. Drove back. Um, I think I even stopped and got Taco Bell. Even though I finally had a full food, uh-huh. I still just had a tradition. Still went and got Taco Bell. Right. It was great. That's like my tradition with In-N-Out. Same thing. When I'm leaving the mountains or going to the mountains, I'll right. stop at In-N-Out. In and out's my go-to when I'm going to the mountains yeah. because I feel like it sits a little bit better than the Taco Bell sits. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Once I'm all done doing the hiking, then I'll do the Taco Bell. <laughs> right. Seriously. So you roll out of A-Zone successful. Yep. First animal, first time success. And I mean, I remember because we were talking on Instagram chat yep. or text message or something, you know, and... and and I remember finally hearing back from you because you were in a canyon with no service. Being like, all right, he's alive and he's made it out. Yeah. Good news. Yeah, right? Was, uh, when I, uh, I took the, <coughs> the blood and then I went the, that next day to go get the deer validated. And I had service for just a second when uh, after I was leaving the parking lot. Like I was in the parking lot. Officer had validated the tag. And as I'm about to drive out, I was like, you know what? I'm going to post this video on Instagram just to give everyone a little teaser. Mm-hmm. And so I posted that picture. Of all about those teasers, man. Exactly. I'm thinking of you because I know you yeah. do it all the time. Yeah. And then People get, fucking hate me for it, dude. I get back the next day and I see you and Anthony, your conversation. And I'm like, oh, shit. I should have told them. Yeah. <laughs> so that was awesome. You guys were, you know, worried about me. Yeah. But I felt really bad afterwards. I was like, oh, I thought I was being super cool. Being able to post like a little teaser picture. And I'm like, oh, shit. I've got homies worried now. <laughs> yeah. But. There's always there's always a couple people like for me there's always a couple people that end up with photos before they make the internet. Oh, <sighs> but yeah. it is what it is. So you have prepped for your D zone hunt and you're so you've hunted the area before. Yes. So let's talk about D zone. And is it high country? Is it low country? Is it mid country? It's, what elevation are you are you around? It's high country. Um, I'm gonna stay away from the elevation. Sure. Because if I say elevation, it's gonna 
severely pinpoint expose where you're at yeah uh, because i have finally had success um i'm gonna try and be a little bit more careful yeah obviously you know i've shown you where it is before yeah uh, but for the purpose of the podcast keep it as it's the high country yeah um d zone over the counter but uh, i try to pick a spot that was a difficult spot to get in Mm -hmm. um it's eight miles for a hike-in for a hike-in yeah just to be able to get to the spot where you can hunt and uh Nick and I went there last year. We ended up actually planning on going to a different spot um, 12 miles down the path. And Nick ended up getting altitude sickness um, Ouch. as we're on the way in. And so... Wilderness athlete makes something called altitude advantage. So I swear by that. That's a really good product. Yeah. And if anyone is ever feeling like iffy, like maybe it won't work. You know, Jake Franklin hit me to this before we went into the whites. Yeah. Having Tums. Chewing like, like when I start my wilderness athlete regiment of altitude advantage, mm-hmm. then I will also start a regiment of like four Tums a day. Really? And I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it does help or if it doesn't help. But I can tell you that I lived 14 days at altitude, you know, 12 and a half thousand feet without a fucking problem. Yeah. And you know, I've gotten altitude sickness one time before mm-hmm. and, you know, granted it was kind of my fault because I was trying to see how little water I could drink on the way in to try and save water to not pull the filter out of my bag. Yeah. It was my first That's a terrible year. fucking idea. First year trying to go into the Sierras and do, do that. You, do you have, so speaking of that, do you have a range, like an amount, an ounces of water that you try to drink a day? I mean, I shoot to drink as much as I can mm-hmm. um, after that experience because that was just like such a terrible headache and being up in the mountains and you're just like, this sucks. Yeah. So now I focus on, I think I was shooting for four to five Nalgene's per day when I was up there this time. Yeah. Was like, what, if I could like hit that, then I'd be like, I'm probably fine with that. My minimum to hit every day is 100 ounces. Okay, that makes sense. Which is three Nalgene's? Three, three and a third okay, yeah. Nalgene bottles. Um, and for me, the way that I'll break it, like when I wake up in the morning, I do, uh, I take a Superman Mm -hmm. and I'll add an emergency energy to it. So that's hydrate and recover energy and focus. And then I'll add an emergency vitamin C packet to it as well. And I'll slam that first thing. In my morning, you know, I'll drink that. Usually try to drink that completely before the sun comes up. Yep. And then I'll take in another 32 ounces between 10 a.m. and noon, which 32 ounces of full Nalgene. Right. Uh, it's probably more than that because I always fill it to the top. But um, and then I'll have another Nalgene later, three, four o'clock, and then I'll drink water before bed. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of my structure of how I'll break it down. That seems like it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I um, had two of those um, just bladders, essentially. So, um, so I had the MSR 10-liter gravity bag. So mm-hmm. I filled that up. And I think every other day I filled it up. So it was like essentially just trying to drink half of that each day, five liters, trying, you know, so I'd fill up the bladder, one bladder is four liters, one bladder is three liters, so, you know, drink most of one of those one day, <coughs> a little bit of the other one, essentially just trying to get as much in as I could. 
Um, I did a lot of noon tablets this year. Um, still had some wilderness athlete that was left over from when I won the uh, the giveaway. Yeah. And I uh, found a couple of those in my pack, so I was stoked on that because I was those are delicious. You know, it's a yeah. great way. Love both. You know, usually as the Superman is my way to go. Right. But um, then I also had the salt tablets. Uh, I just bought on Amazon uh, that runners take. And so it's just essentially just like salt and magnesium or something, just like in a capsule. So that's what I would start off my day with of those and uh, some form of caffeine of either coffee or um, the noon tablets mm-hmm. um, or the, uh, the wilderness athlete. Yeah. But um, their altitude advantage was something that I made sure I took every day because it just it works so well. And I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, again, after that one time, whatever it takes to work. That's what matters to me. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, especially since I was in by myself this time, I guess um, we'll go back to the, the D-Zone hunt with uh, going in with Nick last year. He got the altitude sickness. We got stuck at, um, you know, at about eight miles. And we ended up wanting to go further. He hadn't been doing the five days starting of the Wilderness Athlete. He just started at the trailhead. He started at the trailhead. And so it kind of hit him harder. We got stuck up there. And we ended up finding um, that next morning we were going to go hike the rest of the four miles to get to the spot that we picked 12 miles back. <laughs> As the uh, sun's starting to come up and we're trying to decide if we should start packing down, I was like, let's just look at this hillside in front of us. You know, it doesn't hurt to at least look. We can hike during the day. It's not going to be that hot out. And you know, let's at least, you know, it'd be dumb of us to be at a spot that we could glass and not glass at prime time. And not check it out. Yeah. So we glass and we're glassing for maybe... 20, 30 minutes, and holy shit, it's a buck. And then, holy shit, it's another buck. And so he has his uh, 15s. I had spotted him with my 12s initially, so I'm flipping over with my spotting scope trying to get that on the tripod. And we ended up watching these deer, and these are the biggest deer I've ever seen. Really? And they're just beautiful deer. Dude, D-Zone's got big bucks up and down the state, no matter what anybody says, dude. I'm seeing it more and more. Like, uh, when I first started hunting, you know, everyone says, oh, it's the worst hunting units in the, in the world, in the country even. Yeah. People talk so much trash on it. And then, you know, I thought, all right, you know, if I see a forky, this would be great. And I'm up there and, you know, I showed you some videos of the other deer and there's some on YouTube. But these deer, good sized deer. And so, you know, for us being the shitty hunters, <laughs> we're blown away by it. Super stoked. Um, ended up watching for about 45 minutes, getting some decent footage of them it was you know it's tough because it's still fairly far away and, but you know still got video footage and then they go into the timber and you know, it was 45 minutes of getting to watch these deer and then it was gone yeah so after that we sat we didn't actually hike down because we were like we just found monster deer why would we leave and so we uh just clasped that same hillside for the next four or five days didn't see any of those deer again we ended up finding a fork that was 20 inches wide maybe mm. you know great would have been so stoked with it yeah but like just could not find those you know four by fours that we found before and three by fours and, you know, there's well, a bunch of deer in there one of the one of the biggest difficulties that i think hunting at elevation in california is that they're migratory deer yeah so for them to move two or three miles in a day to me isn't a big deal as to where when you're hunting in the low country and you're hunting blacktail they're a little bit more patternable and a little bit more easy of a schedule to keep track of because they're not migrating 10, 15, 20, 25 miles, 
you know, between winter range and summer range. Right. Right. So I think that plays a big role as like, you know, but that being said, I mean, you know, sometimes you can go into the same hole two, three, four days in a row and end up finding the same deer over and over and over again. So that's actually what ended up happening this time. I got mm-hmm. lucky with that, but this first time before is, you know, we, we just lost them. Yeah. And we didn't have any experience of hunting up there either. It was our first time. We um, had drawn an X zone for an archery tag the year before, and uh, this will give away what zone it is. Nick picked up a uh, leftover tag afterwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a popular one. I put it for the wrong one uh, on accident. I think I was putting for a different X zone. But, um, you know, we just didn't know what we were doing. And so we had just we had found these deer, and we were like, we don't know what to do other than just try and sit here. We probably should have slid down the ridge and you know for this year that i uh, went in i found a secondary where we could sit where if they did the same thing or if similar deer did the same thing we could move two miles down the canyon and we might be able to find them again yeah so um right after a zone ended i uh this is kind of like looping back around yeah full circle um you know that hunt ends and um the d zone hunt from the year before ends we don't have anything nick comes a zone we're talking about the current year of going to hunt D-Zone, and we're all excited about it. I'm in Hawaii on vacation, and Nick texts me a week or two before the season starts. And Nick's like, yeah, I don't have anyone to watch my dog, um, and Katie, his girlfriend, is going to be out of town. So he's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go on this trip. And you know, it's one of those things, like, we've been planning this all year, so it's super disappointing, but, you know, shit happens. Yeah. And Mason waiting on a check as well so he didn't have enough money for him to be able to go and you know still pay rent and everything else so i had my two friends that on this trip that we've been planning for so long bail out right before the trip it's frustrating when that happens it is i mean for me i've had a lifetime of every year people bail on hunts with me right like every year and it's just kind of like what that does, and it's not anything bad to the people. For me, my number one priority in my life is to be outdoors and to be hunting no matter what. Absolutely. I don't give a shit. Yep. Like, absolutely cut and dry, and that's the way that it's been for a really long time. And anybody that knows me, you know, way back knows that that's, hunting has been my number one priority for a very long time. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, that being said, over the years... Every year, new hunters show up that want to come out, and I'll take them out, and 80% of them don't show up when it's actually time to go hunt because something happens that takes priority because for them, it's not that their heart isn't in it, and it's not that they don't love it, and it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just that they are not as married to it you know, usually they're married to somebody else. Absolutely. I'm married to the outdoors and I'm married to hunting. Like, that's my wife. It's it's a true addiction. Like it I is. Know. Yeah. All fucking day long. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no, like, ands, or buts about it. It is completely 100%, for me, yeah. an addiction. And, and so I see it very similarly. Yeah. And it kind of bit me in the ass because as uh, I'm talking to my girlfriend about it, and I was like, oh, man. Nick bailed and Mason bailed, so now I don't know what to do. She's like, well, you know, they're taking their priority seriously. She was like, you know, he's worried about paying rent. Like, you're going to be taking all this time off work. Like, you've had, you know, plenty of vacations. She's like, maybe you shouldn't go. 
And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. I've been planning this all year. She's like, well, your friends are being responsible. You're all, I'm fucking pot committed. Right. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be If this is poker, you're all in. Like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to make this happen. Like, again, it goes back to like the addiction thing almost because it was just like, you know, other people see things differently. But for me, it was like, I've set this goal. I will at least get out there. Yeah. So I went on my first, I've been camping by myself for like a night before, you know, for a solo trip. But not like I was planning on going for a week. And so I was like, I'm going to go in for a week, backpack, you know, packing myself, and I'm going to make sure I'm out there. Because I knew I could not go, you know, I could be responsible and try and pick up some shifts and make money mm-hmm. or try and hunt somewhere closer or find someone else to go with. But knowing that I saw those deer the year before was going to haunt me forever. If, really? I, if I didn't just go and at least just see opening morning. Are those giant deer going to do the same thing as they did last year? Yeah. Or am I never going to see them again? And in that case, I'd be like, you know what? I don't see them. At least I knew. But I like I had to go and just see. So I ended up uh, packing in, got like wilderness permit, um, packed in super early in the morning. I mean, not super early. Probably 5, 5.30 in the morning, started packing in. Hiked the eight miles up, big elevation gain. Um, Ended up uh, setting up camp. By the time afternoon rolls around, I walk down to my glassing spot, start glassing, and I don't see a single deer. Really? And so I was like getting a little nervous because when I uh, talked to a couple people on the way in that I saw just random hikers, and as they're coming out, I just tried to ask everyone, oh, you guys see any animals? See any bears? You see any deer? This and that. Everyone didn't see a thing. No animals, nothing. I was like, oh, all right. And people saying, yeah, we talked to other people, no one's seeing animals. So I'm like, oh, you know, maybe they didn't migrate up as high, you know. No, this is terrible sounding. Right, exactly. And it's like, super nervous. I knew they're hikers. They're not looking for animals. They're not waking up. They're not looking more than at the trail below their boots. Right, exactly. Watching their steps. They're not waking up uh, right at sunrise to make sure they can look and see what animals are out there with binoculars. Yeah. I knew, just take it with a grain of salt, but it was a little nerve wracking. And so, didn't see anything that night. Super nervous uh, going into opening morning, just with the opening morning jitters. And uh, so I'm trying to sleep that night, just get a little bit of sleep, wake up, run right over the glassing spot. It's about a mile hike. Get over there and I set up and boom, 300 yards away from where I'd seen the big deer the year before. Mm -hmm. I see what I think is, you know, the same deer as the year before. The year before was a three by three mainframe with the back. Um, G2 that split making him a 3 by 4 mm-hmm. it was like a super weak back fork well this deer that I see 300 yards from like the bushes that that deer was at the year before 3 by 4 with a weak back fork but this year there's a kicker on the side mm-hmm. what I think is this year so I was like oh my god like I found the deer like this is what I came up here for like just the fact of finding like big deer up there was just awesome yeah and so I got really excited about it. He was with a smaller three by three. And so I was just like, you know, listening to enough podcasts, you hear people talk about it. Patience kills the buck. But the same thing as, you know, have it last year in mind. I'm like, man, I saw this deer for 45 minutes. If I don't try and make the run over and try and get on him, I could never see him again. Yeah. But uh, just trying to, I've learned more than last year. <coughs> as much as I wanted to put a play on the deer, I was like, have five days 
if I blow him out on this first day and I have to sit here for the next four days thinking like I should have taken like a little bit more time, mm-hmm. I knew I'd regret it. So I was just going back and forth between that. Luckily, there was only one other tent up there that was a possible hunter. He was set up in an area where if he was looking for deer, he would find a couple of smaller forks that I had like seen, you know, just tooling around over there. But he was missing kind of like the main canyon. So I wasn't sure if it was a hunter or not, but he wasn't camped where the majority of people would normally camp up there. Yeah. So I figured maybe he is, but uh, day after opening day, he was gone. So it was like essentially just me up there. So I was like, all right, this guy's hunting us far side. I'm going to stay here. And I also didn't want to give away the idea of like, oh, if I have to walk by this guy's camp to like loop around, I don't want him being, oh, looking for a deer. Oh, you saw a deer over there. Perfect. Just in case. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, you know, running all these options through my head, just watching the deer. Later in the afternoon, um, I've watched them make two different beds, and one of these deer just beds, uh, the smaller one, the three by three, beds right out in the open, essentially. And I was like, I could put a stock on him. And I was looking at it, and I knew the bigger buck was like in the timber a little bit more, and you could kind of see him when he'd move a little bit. But I was like, I should try and take this three by three. But then I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, man, I'm up here, it's still opening morning. I really want to try and go after the big one, but I'm the shitty hunter, so I have like <laughs> no reason to pass up any deer. It's yeah, like, but now you're like the semi-shitty hunter because you just you just killed hunter. a deer in A zone, so. So I've got a little bit of confidence. You right graduated now. a little bit. Right. So yeah. I'm like, I feel good. I feel confident, but at the same time, it's like trying to go back and forth. Of like, if they're right next to each other, obviously I'd shoot the bigger one. But if I know one's much more probable, you know, bird in hand is better than two in bush. Right. So I was like, ah. meat on the ground, baby. Right. Yeah. So I was like, eh, you know, kind of deciding about it. Ended up that I was just going to watch them and just try and learn their plan. So opening day comes and goes. I watch them um, all the way up until just before last light where they kind of head down the canyon and then they disappear. So I was like, all right, you know what? Like, it was cool. I've learned what I think they're going to do, or at least where they feel safe. Tomorrow, if I have the opportunity, I decided I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So day two of the season, I go back to my glassing spot find them opening morning they're in the exact same spot literally 10 yards from where i found them that morning before really right next to the same rock and the same little opening feeding so i was like oh that's pretty cool that's a good sign so i'm watching them and i watch them go make their first bed and their first bed was 50 yards from where they had made their day their bed before and so i watch them make a second bed and i start getting my things ready i'm like are they going to just make two beds today or are they going to make three you know i want to make sure i was ready and then i watch them bed and lo and behold, they're there for a little bit, and a doe comes in, and a doe kicks them out. So they get up, and then they move, and then I watch them run up the hill, and then they <coughs> back down the hill, and then they run up kind of like off to the diagonal. So I'm like, what is going on here? They ended up going back, like after like doing this little loop around, go back to an area that they pretty much bedded at the day before. So mm-hmm. all these beds have essentially been in the same spot. Yeah. So on the third bed, I was like, all right, this is my opportunity. It was 2 o'clock, something like that, maybe a little bit before. And I was like, I have until 4 maybe um, when they when I got up yesterday, the day before. And so I was trying to base it all off of those same times. So I was like, that gives me you know, two hours pretty much to run, make a giant U around the canyon. The wind comes in this way. So after about maybe a two-mile hike around, I knew I'd be able to get in on them. So... I run back, drop off extra things at camp, because camp's pretty much on this U back, run across, 
start making my way across. I picked a burned tree as like a marking point mm-hmm. and like a big dirt patch that I thought, you know, I'll be able to find this on the other side. Yeah. I get to the other side, things look totally different on No dirt patch. So then I'm like, well, where is it? I can't even find the burned tree that I thought would be like the guaranteed way to find it. Yeah. So after like finally looking around a little bit, um, I see some hikers on the main trail as I'm like going up and I'm like, man, how close are we to the buck? Like these guys are just talking. I'm in full camouflage in the bow. So I'm like trying to stay back on the trail enough and I'm not like creeping in on these like, you know, hikers that are just going up. And so they're just talking, being loud. And they'd stop on the trail, and I'd stop so I wouldn't get in too close. And then they'd start walking, so it took even longer than I thought. Eventually, I ended up finding the dirt patch. Take my bag off, take uh, my boots off. So this time, you're actually taking gear off this to time, get in on your stock. Right. This okay. was like, I am Some way more serious stock more for you. Because I've had so much time to think about yeah. it. And just like look at this hillside that I was like, the only way this is going to happen if I do everything perfect. So take off my bag, mark it with uh, my Onyx, because you hear enough stories about- You don't want to lose your shit. <laughs> so um, I have the five finger uh, like shoes, mm-hmm. and so I put those on as like stocking shoes, and I start making my way down, and as I'm on my way down, I find the uh, burned tree finally. So I was like, all right, nice. So I'm gonna start glassing, and I'm like, these should be somewhere down here to my 11 o'clock, so I'm just off to my left in front of me somewhere. I'm looking find a three by three so I'm like all right nice he's still bedded in that same spot but I can't find the bigger buck I'm like all right so I'm gonna make my way down get 176 yards away with my rangefinder from the three by three he kind of at least he's looking my direction so I feel like he saw some movement he might have seen me so I kind of back out and make sure I'm like have trees blocking my way and I loop around to get the wind right to try and loop back closer mm-hmm. when I loop back closer I get down to where they should be, and I can see like the exact area of like, all right, they were bedded here and here. But the buck that I'm looking at, that I was looking for, I couldn't find either of them. I almost pulled my phone out to do like a shitty hunter video to be like, well, you know, look at this. I've learned so much on my experience here. I got my, you know, awesome stock, found their beds, but I blew them out and, you know, it's gone. So I decided, you know what, before I pull the video out and I start talking right now, I'm just gonna like, loop around just to get an idea of the area. So I loop back around, and then I end up finding the three by three at 65 yards. Up and feeding or petted down? Up feeding, okay. kind of feeding away from me, but not quickly. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? It's big bucks here, but 65 yards, I can make this shot. I want to kill a deer, you know? That's what it's about, harvesting meat, you know, and candy antlers. So I was like, this, I'm just gonna take this deer. He's feeding though, and he kind of takes a step up as I'm getting everything ready, and his vitals are all blocked. So I'm sitting, and I just literally just sit down and I just wait. And he just continues to feed off a little bit, gets behind a big pine tree, and at this point, you know, he's out of range. Never offered a good shot, except for just a gut shot, which obviously I'm not going to take unless I have a proper vital shot. So I decided to do the same thing loop back around, make sure the wind's right, and then come down closer on him. Well, I loop back around. I never slid my sight um, from 65 like it initially was. And lo and behold, the big guy standing there at 20 something yards. Ouch. And so I'm like, oh fuck. Like, I Does just, he know you're there? Are you busted? Kind of. Kind of. I've come down. Uh, I've got a face mask on. I was moving super slow. And he was feeding 
and I don't know if he heard me or saw movement, but he picked his head up and then he started walking away. So it wasn't like a... Wouldn't spook. Wasn't running, but it was more just like, eh, something's there, I'm just gonna go off this way now. Mm-hmm. So he starts walking and I was like, all right, I've missed enough pigs not range finding, pull your range finder out. <coughs> but I'm seeing him walking and I'm like, I swear to God, if I miss, if I don't get a shot at this monster deer, at, you know, ended up being 27 yards, I was like, I'm gonna be really angry at myself. So I was like, I know this is under 30 yards. So just super quickly, slide the pin to 25, draw back, and you know, still get buck fever. I'm shaking, and I'm just like trying to control myself. Well, and it's a buck with a cheater. How yes, are you, yeah. Say, I'm like trying not to look at the antlers, because I'm just like, just get. Just trying to look at shot placement. Right, exactly. Yeah. Just trying to focus on just like, harvest this deer, make a good shot. And so I'm trying to, uh, you know, he's kind of walking off still, and he kind of turns and cuts to go to the left. Well, I didn't take into account that he's going to start walking um, the, the way he was walking. I needed to adjust my bow a little bit more. And so I ended up shooting, and I shot him a little high. But luckily, when I shot him a little high, it hit his spine, and it dropped him. So even though you know I've spent so much time practicing this and that with my bow, one of those shots that is like, I can make that shot, you know, I could break arrows at that distance and just got super excited with it and you know it was not the best shot in the world but it worked the deer ended up uh he dropped kind of picked himself up and went 50 yards and died i I put another one in him and he died yeah so it was like even though it didn't work out nearly as well as my other deer that was just like the most perfect shot you could ask for you know this and that the deer didn't suffer you know too much and he was down quickly was able to go and put another one in him so definitely gives me something more to work on of excited you know right controlling myself shots um but it was one of those things like i was just uh, so many emotions came over me um as it all happened and so just, what was it like walking up on the buck for the first time it was unreal like, it's still something that i look back on it's just like it's hard to put it into words because like I said it was different than the last time because there wasn't anyone else there to like celebrate with me it was like it was much more of a solemn experience of like alright like there's work to be done now it's not like woohoo you know like jumping up and down like yeah is it a big deer absolutely and I've you know seen a deer that size is awesome to harvest one is great but I wasn't even I don't if you look at my phone I should have taken so many more pictures but I was so, you know, more just like, I've taken this animal's life, I need to get the meat taken care of, like there's more important things than getting like all these epic pictures, which I regret not having some of the pictures now because, you know, there's no one to take the picture, so for my grip and grin picture, I took the phone on video, set it up against my pack against a tree, and then just turned the head so I could take a screenshot of it for later. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because for me, I go through the same thing. You know, and I've killed plenty of animals. So when I'm in a field and I kill something like the amount of photos that I take, I guess at the kill or, you know, whatever is so limited Right. because I'm not like, all right, cool. Let's take the camera out, you know, and, and be my own floating photographer. Right. Right. I'm like, all right, man, I just took this animal's life. 
I need to skin this out. I need to cut out the back straps. I need to cut off the hams. I need to cut off the head. You know, I need to figure out exactly how I'm going to pack this out. I need to get it in the pack. I need to take care of this meat. Right. Because the meat is why I am there. Right. right? That's, that's the whole reason, exactly. Whether it's a big buck or a little buck, it yeah. doesn't fucking matter. Like, meat is and, meat. and my number one concern when I'm looking at an animal on the ground is proper meat care and getting that meat safely without any spoilage off the mountain. It's not about... Let me take a million fucking photos. No, when I get back to camp and I have the meat hung up and like the, the adventure's <laughs> done, I'm like, cool, dad, let's take some, you know, and I'm like, yeah, let's do photos. And like, then I'm in a more like celebratory mood. Exactly. But when I'm out there and I'm by myself or with someone else, you know, like in my head, I'm like, all right, work, work, work. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like that trigger for me is the work button. Absolutely. You know? And like. It's funny because most of the pictures that, you know, if you like look at my phone, took pictures in the car of like the deer because it was, you know, that same thing of I've got, you know, I've got work to do right now. There's more important things. And I, when I shot him, it was starting to get dark. Yeah. So by the time that I walked back to get my pack, which, you know, had my tags and my license in it. So like it was even tough to leave the deer because, you know, I don't want to touch the deer. Do you use a bino harness? Yeah. So I use a bino harness. But you can put all your tags and licensing in your bino. It doesn't have the zipper. So that's why I'm going to be getting the new Kuyu one uh -huh. because it has that zipper. In it's got a zipper pocket for sure. But I didn't want to lose the tag. So yeah. it was one of those, like, I had to leave the buck and, like, I tried to put, like, my quiver up on top of a tree so I could see that. So <laughs> I was like, I can't find the deer it. until I have a tag. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I don't want to leave this deer right here. So, like, luckily it was 200 yards up to go get my pack or whatever. Yeah. But by the time I was back, I had my knives out, tag filled out and everything. You know, it's not dark, but the sun's like clearly starting to go down. So I'm like, all right, I need to, you know, make sure I start taking care of the animal. Because mm -hmm. most important thing was again getting back to camp with all the meat, and you know, I've seen bears in there too. And not that you know people ever have problems with black bears. So did you bone it out? Like, did you skin it out? Did you pack out bones? Like, what was I your? I packed out all the bones. Okay, so you well, packed. Phrase that. You packed out rib pack cage. Out rib bones. Um, I did on my uh, on the A zone because it was so close. That one, it was just, uh, you know, take the meat out. Yeah. Um, but I figured I, this is also going to go something into, like, my the gear that I carry. I brought so much gear in that my backpack was full. Yeah. So I knew I was going to have to make two trips anyways as I was leaving if I had a gear. That's a rough pack out. So I wanted to make sure that I had a full, like, I brought my two-person uh, tent as opposed to my bivy sack so I could have space to sit in, like, sit up at night and kind of enjoy myself because I knew the bugs were going to be super bad. Mm-hmm. So I had all these different like the bugs are super bad this year. For some reason, they're so much worse. Not than last for year. some reason, man. It was fucking it's that late water, spring yeah. and water and <laughs> and all the rains and and everything like that. That totally makes sense. It, oh. it, it was terrible. Yeah. But um, you know, looking back on it, I don't know if we'll still bring that tent because that pack out was. <laughs> I'll deal with the bugs as opposed to that pack out, and since I've done it, I you know I'll do a pack out again. But I'll be looking at definitely dropping some weight and some size in my pack just mm -hmm. so you know the one possible. p dude yeah that's uh i almost asked anthony if i could borrow his because i know he won that one uh up at kuyu's thing the other day mm -hmm. or you know a couple months ago and i was gonna be like hey are you going out when you go to d zone are you gonna bring your tent <laughs> yeah that one p is amazing because that's and it weighs like, almost nothing yeah it's like less than a pound right yeah yeah so that's what i've been looking at is that especially because like my tent is twice the size of that and weighs five and a half pounds. <coughs> you know, no. Some old REI no. tent. 
So yeah. No. <laughs> Terrible. No. So I learned that lesson the hard no. way as I have to do a that's how we, but that's how we perfect our kit right, and exactly. what we bring in as personal preference items. Like something that I would have never thought about before. Ten, 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 you know, make, make space for it. Right. But now it's like, oh man, like we'll not be bringing that. We'll be upgrading this and like I've got a five pound sleeping bag. So I'm not going to be bringing a five pound sleeping bag next time. We'll upgrade to a quilt. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I can consolidate enough space in the bag, then I can just fit everything in. And especially if I was to bone it out. Mm-hmm. But with this time, I knew I wasn't going to have the space. So I knew if I'm going to have to be carrying the meat out anyways, I want those bones. I want to make bone broth with that. Like I've already, since I've gotten this, I've made a bunch of, uh, we got a pig later afterwards the, from a deep red property after I got this deer, but I made pulled pork tacos. Um, I brought some in and I uh, made barbecued pulled pork. Um, I'll do the shanks of the deer in like a crock pot and I'll leave the bones in. So the bones add so much flavor. Yeah. I'm like, I want to make sure I have that. If I have to hike out like one extra load as it is, it's not going to be that much difference. What am I going to say? Five pounds if I take all the bones out or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I packed everything out with the bones. And so I've uh, brought back two hams, brought both the shoulders, and made it easier to put in and out of the pack. Maybe not easier than boning out, but just open up the pack, grab all four legs, kind of put them in, yeah. zip up. And so each time, as I, when I left camp, you know, it was only eight miles in. But if you have a full backpack and you have to hike eight miles out and you have to take your deer as well, it's one mile down the trail, you know, say you leave it a mile down, then you have to hike that mile back to where the deer was, where camp was, put the deer in your camp and then hike that, you know, mile back to wherever you left your stuff. So one mile turns into three miles. So I'd just be emptying my pack out completely, throwing all the deer legs in, all the uh, extra meat, the trim, backstrap, you know, all my meat bags back in. And then I'd just be doing that down the trail. So it ended up being a uh, 24 mile total pack out. Ouch. But uh, I ended up splitting it up. I did from when I woke up that day after I took care of the deer. Um, I went, I had two separate food bags, one in my glassing spot, one kind of close to camp, just so I didn't have to be bringing too much food back and forth. So I went to my glassing spot, got my food, I uh, got the second food bag on my way back, broke down camp, and then from 8.30 in the morning till 10.30 at night. I was shuffling bags down the trail, just leapfrogging. Yeah. Um, the only break that I took was, you know, my breaks were when I had an empty pack walking back uphill to go get everything else. Yeah. And it ended up being five o'clock and I was trying to limit myself on water that day. And I had drank two, uh, two of the Nalgene bottles and I ran out of water. So I was like, it's five o'clock PM. I've been doing this, you know, since 8.30. I need to fill up water. So that was my break. Five minutes filling up water right next to the creek. There we go. Water work, work, work. There you go. Back to the work. And ended up doing 20 miles in one day just because I needed to make sure I got the deer meat back in the cooler. Because yeah. I was like, I could camp up here another night, but then that's another night the meat's not in the cooler. So I was like, I just need to get as far as I can and make sure. And the other thing is I don't want to leave the deer or the head or anything too far away from each other. So it's about every mile that I'm having to shift all this stuff, which took more time, but at the same time, I'm trying to make sure I don't have stuff stolen as well. Yeah. So uh, it was a hell of a pack out. Ended up uh, leaving tents, sleeping bags, some clothes, some food, like still on the trail, on the cutbacks going down, wow. just because I was like, I need to get the meat to the cooler, but I'm not sleeping on this little switchback right now. Right. So Seriously. get the meat back to the car. Um, 
hit the head underneath. <laughs> I was like, I don't want anyone seeing at the trailhead. Like, oh, that deer's up there? All right. <laughs> oh, cool. So I hid that underneath, and at 3.30 in the morning, hiked back up the trail, picked up the rest of my stuff, finished the last little over three miles, and hiked back down, and then texted you. Nice. I remember that. That was epic. And, uh, yeah, beyond beyond stoked. Yeah, so this will be the, the Deadeye section, right? And Deadeye, you know Deadeye. Oh, yeah. Hats. Hoodies, t-shirt, apparel, all the wonderful socks. Socks, absolutely. I, I wore their socks in the in the White Mountains. They were actually, they weren't bad. Um, so for you, with, with the Dead Eye Minute, for you, on that last pack out, that last three miles, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, what's going through your head? bucks at the truck you're finishing your hunt you're finishing your season this is what you've worked your ass off for you know like what's going on with you internally on that hike and i mean i got to imagine that's damn near daybreak yeah you know? so I, I ended up uh, sleeping at the car once i got the buck to the car yeah i know I was sleeping just a little bit but yeah sun's coming up uh, i'm hiking in and like picture that I posted where you can see the antlers on my head is probably like the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. That stupid smile did not leave my face. Like, even though it was like the worst, like such a miserable pack out, this and that, it was just such a good feeling that I just couldn't stop smiling. A sense of accomplishment. Right, exactly. It was like, I put the goal in, you know, I finished one goal already, completed that, then to come back up by myself, you know, find deer, and you know, it's not, I initially thought it was the same deer that I had found before. And, now that I've been making the uh, YouTube video footage, I realized, you know, not the, not the same deer. But, you know, I went back and I found what I was after, did it alone, and then the fact of being able to accomplish it and then pack it all out too, all I could see was just, uh, my feelings were just, I, I finally did it. Yeah. Like, this is the moment that I've been working so hard for, especially with that other, like my first year. Amazing experience. But, you know, we moved to the, that spot so we could have, like, a wilderness hunt. And then I shot it 400 yards from the trailhead. <laughs> so it was, like, it was not the same. Ex you know, I was looking for a certain experience as well, mm -hmm. just spending my time out. And, and you got it. And, and plenty more. <laughs> well, you, you got the experience that you were searching for, right. right? You were searching for that experience in A zone, and you ended up getting it in D zone um, with phenomenal success of the hunt. And, I mean, experience killing of an animal across the board everything mm -hmm. right you you got the entirety of the experience and instead of it being with your buddies that you guys were all planning this wilderness adventure it was by yourself for me i almost feel like sometimes those moments when i'm by myself those are the ones that are the most rewarding yeah. internally oh absolutely because it's like Again, there's nothing, you can't bounce feelings off anyone else. It's like, it's literally just all what you're feeling right then. And, well, and you know, it's a constant this. war internally, too, of all different things. Do I do this? Do I yeah. do that? I'll, yeah. What do you think? It's like, oh, this is what's going to happen. And it's yeah. all my decisions. And, you know, granted, there's so much luck that came into it as well of, like, me actually finding the marking points and me finding, like, the three by three. And then, you know, oh, the big one's standing there as I turn the corner thinking I'm getting ready to shoot through the there's so much luck that goes into it as well of everything working out right but it was awesome for me to feel like I made all the right decisions that I could leading up to it yeah 
of like not like oh you know everything all you know, almost worked out this and that it's like I did everything right and then all the stars aligned too yeah where it was like such a, a feeling that I'd been looking for and I didn't even quite realize that I you know I knew I was looking for it, but I didn't expect to feel how I did but it was just like such a sense of accomplishment provider because I've been able to share this meat with so many different people like I think since a zone probably shared meat with 25 different people that's so awesome you know granted i brought a lot of it into work to you know people share it a lot of co-workers know i go out all the time so they wanted to be able to do it as well um, and be able to experience it and taste the meat so it was nice to be able to fulfill that goal for myself but then be able to share it with other people as well right well it it's so funny to me that you're bringing up the sharing of the meat um when i was at total archery challenge at I honestly hope I can find this video from when I was there. Yeah. I want the world to know that the hunting community and the angling community of the United States of America and Canada is composed of some of the most. Oh my God, that sucks. Hold on. <laughs> is that Shane Mahoney? I want the yeah. world yeah. to know that the hunting community and the angling community of the United States of America and Canada is composed of some of the most sharing people on the bloody planet. Right. I'm 100% and exactly what you're talking about, where you've shared your animal with 20 plus people. Yeah. Right? And your hard work and your effort and your energy and your strategy and your plans and your financial commitment and, and everything. <clears throat> and I think that that's such a missed, maybe it's not missed, but I think that it's missed um, attribute that we as hunters get to share with the non-hunting community, right. you know, and, and just sharing the bounties of delicious ass food and it's funny too because now that like my coworkers especially have tried her not even coworkers, everyone who's tried it yeah. loves it like i haven't found anyone that says anything other than fantastic things but now people are asking all the time hey so when are you going to bring stuff in the next when are we going to get to try this when are we get to try that yeah and, so and they don't understand what goes into actually getting it exactly like, <laughs> this took me a lot this took yeah. me three years to be able to fill this you know mini yeah. freezer that i have yeah now it's all gone right exactly yeah. so like it's a good problem to have because i'm like you know i want to be able to share it i want to be able to have other people know oh wow deer wild game isn't super gamey it isn't terrible you know as all these people talked about oh i had deer once and i didn't like it mm -hmm. okay well here you know what it probably wasn't taken care of or cooked correctly cor correctly so why don't we have something where like a little bit more i know this meat was taken care of right i know that you know it's cooked right so try it now and mm -hmm. then people try it and they just get hooked the idea that you know they're eating something that you know someone they know went out and harvested it's something that ties everyone together so the one thing that I had told them as everyone was eating at work, you know, I've got 20 people around all eating these tacos. I was like, there's one rule. If anyone ever hears about anti-hunting legislation, now that you guys have all eaten this, you need to turn it down and shoot that down. Yeah. And so every one of them was like, all right, that's a fair trade-off. <laughs> yeah. Now realizing how delicious that it is. Right, exactly. I'm like, yeah. remember guys, like you hear something anti-hunting, remember like this food is delicious. Like think back and what, what you're really voting for. Yeah. No, just a silly joke about it, but, uh, you know, 
got managers that are now like, hey, you know, like, do you have any extra? You know, people ask me every day. And so I'm glad that I can finally be at that point where I can share, you know, what we do, share our bounties, but share the experiences. And then let's see, between my spearfishing buddies, coworkers, friends that used to hunt, there's probably 10 of my friends who have either gotten their hunter safety course or on their way of the done the online portion and waiting to mm -hmm. do like the follow-up course. Yeah. Just from seeing like, oh wow, it looks like what you do is fun. Can I do it too? Mm -hmm. I'm like, sure. You just gotta, you know, it's really easy. Get your license. We'll walk through everything. And then once you're taken care of, let's go out. So people being able to try the food, it's, you know, making even more people. Like there's two uh, coworkers of mine that are, uh, that are girls that you would look at and be like, those are girly girls. They're like, I want to go out and I want to harvest a pig. And I want to harvest a deer. How cool. Perfect. Yeah. So it's cool just to see it bringing in so many different types of people yeah. as well. Right on, man. Do you have any concluding thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, just thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Love, love again to sit down and talk with you. Absolutely, man. I mean, congratulations on your success this year. Thank you. You can't, like, it's so cool to have gotten to know you over the past two, three years and watch your story unfold, you know, something written down in it. <laughs> yeah, there is totally, yeah. you know, determination. Absolutely. It's you like, know, and, and getting it done. Like I will always be the shitty hunter. Like as everyone can see from watching me go out for three years, I don't have any special skills. I don't have anything that's like, Oh wow, I'm better than anyone else. What I have is determination. Mm -hmm. I'm shitty at hunting, but I'm relentless. Determined. Exactly. I, I will yeah. be out there as much as I possibly can just to make sure that if the situation arises, I can try and capitalize on it. Yep. Like all I'm out there is just dedicated. Right so, on. That's a, you can be a shitty hunter as long as you're dedicated. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thanks again for coming, coming down. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.